Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25. As I mentioned last Sunday, in going through the Psalms once a month, something has made an impression on me, and that is vocabulary. As I listen and follow along, as someone reads five Psalms each day from the ESV, the English Standard Version, vocabulary stands out. And when I say vocabulary, it isn't just that the ESV reads differently from other translations. It has to do more with familiar words, words I've heard my whole life. But as I listen, I found myself asking, what does that word really mean? I think one of the dangers in becoming familiar with scripture is that we assume, and we don't give it a second thought because we assume it to be true, that we know what a particular word means and then we go on from there. What I hope that we will do, beginning last Sunday and continuing, is to consider some familiar words and relearn what they mean, recover their content, and then hear them as they were intended. We begin with a word that is found in different forms throughout Scripture, and that is the word bless. We use Psalm 115 as our text, and we saw that bless was used of different parties. So we looked at the matter of bless. What does it mean, the verb bless? The most familiar is that of God blessing, beginning with the fifth day of creation, when God blessed all that he had created. On the sixth day of creation, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so what we find is the bestowing of good. In this context, the pleasure and power of increasing in number. Bestowing of good is usually the way that we find the word or the verb bless used in scripture. And the context uh, defines or determines what that means. That is to say, um, when God blesses people, it isn't necessarily that they will have a lot of children or that they will fill the earth, it depends on the particular context in which uh, the word is being spoken. We also saw that to bless means to consecrate, and so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He set it apart as the Sabbath day. We saw that we also find humans blessing the Creator. Eliezer, who was sent to find a wife for Isaac, said, I Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord. We also saw that human beings bless other human beings when Jacob blessed his sons. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with the blessing suitable to him. Again, the context determines what in fact is spoken. And then the last was when human beings bless food. And we see this particularly in the Gospels, that Jesus with the two disciples, the road to Emmaus, When he was at table with them, he broke or he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. When we speak of being blessed or bless or blessing, it is usually we think of in terms of benefits that are conveyed. But in reality, this is secondary. This is not the primary focus of being blessed or someone blessing something. The primary factor of blessing is a statement of relationship between the parties. That is to say, God blesses with a benefit on the basis of that relationship. 
The blessing makes known the positive relationship, that there is in fact a relationship between the one who is blessing and the one who is being blessed. And the one who is being blessed should become aware, the recipient should become aware, oh, there is something going on here, perhaps more than I realized was going on. I mentioned last week, it is worth noting that the word bless in its various forms occur most in the Old Testament which really surprised me. I would have thought that this was more of a New Testament thing, I think maybe because of the Beatitudes. And the two books in which we find the word most often used is the book of Genesis and the book of Psalms. So again, I would think that the book of Psalms would have it more, but no, it is in fact the book of Genesis in which we find bless or its various forms more often than anywhere else. But we shouldn't be surprised because it is in the book of Genesis that we are told, it is foundational, we are told of God's relationships with different things. So his relationship with creation. He is, after all, the creator. His relationship with human beings. We are made in his image. And then he makes a covenant with Noah and his sons. He makes a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. So we need to understand that God blesses with a benefit or benefits on the basis of that relationship. So again, Genesis is really important because that's where those relationships are formed. That's where they begin. But again, we need to realize that the benefits are secondary. The primary factor is the relationship between the parties. And as I said last week, I think this helps us understand what it means when we bless God. That the focus isn't what can we give to God, because one would say pretty much nothing. And this is why many English translations, instead of using the word bless, use the word praise. That we respond to God because there is a relationship. That is what is foundational. That is what is primary. So when we bless God, when we praise God, it is our response because of a relationship that he has created between us. Today, I want to consider another form of the word bless, and that is the word blessed. Our text here tells us of an incident in the life of David. He was on the run from Saul. He's in the desert. He has about 600 men with him, and he needs some food. And he hears of a rich man named Nabal, and so he sends 10 of his men to approach this man. It's a lengthy passage, but I want to read it beginning in verse number two um, and go to verse number 31. So follow along. I will read uh, in the NIV. Uh, Later on, I will shift to the ESV. A certain man in Maon who had property there in Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was a Calebite. Uh, her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were in Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men, since we have come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. 
When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal the message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, and five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead and I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing. He paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, May your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you, you must pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. an interesting story. Um, we have Nabal who is described as someone who is surly and mean in his dealings and a wife who is the exact opposite of her husband. When he refuses to show generosity, uh, David responds, and I would argue incorrectly, David is not right in this. And Abigail, in fact, keeps him from sinning, from shedding innocent blood. Um, she goes to him 
and she makes she brings this food, but then she also makes a case that he should not, in fact, do what he is thinking of doing. And so we come to verses 32 and 33. And you will forgive me, but I will now shift to the ESV because uh, unlike most English translations, the ESV is like the King James that it uses bless in the place of praise. Other translations will shift to praise, um, but not the ESV. So verses 32 and 33. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. So there are three aspects that are described as blessed. The Lord, the God of Israel, Abigail's discretion, and then Abigail herself. What I want to do today is to consider the uses or three uses of the word blessed and what we can learn from them. The three are Old Testament Beatitudes, New Testament Beatitudes, and then God himself as blessed. Before we continue, though, let's answer the question, what is a beatitude? It comes from the Latin beatus. It means blessed or happy. Um, just a disclaimer, I'm not against people being happy, okay? Um, but I think oftentimes the way we define happy today is somewhat different than what Scripture says. And so, um, I think, no pun intended, I'm happier with blessed than I am with happy. But um, I think both are intended we find at least two forms of the Beatitude in Scripture, uh, particularly in the Old Testament. Usually it begins with the saying, blessed, and then it is followed by a pronoun, and then it introduces a particular conduct or quality which prompts sort of praise from the one who is speaking, who speaks of this person. Blessed is this person. In this case, it's Abigail. Blessed be you uh, because of her discretion. The second form that we find is they begin with the words blessed is or blessed be. And the pronouncement is made of which God himself is seen as the agent. In both cases, the blessed person is congratulated because they are in the enviable position of being or having divine approval. I say that there are two kinds and I I don't want to make too strong of a distinction because I would argue that in both cases, God is the one who is acting And so when someone is blessed, it's because God has acted in that person's life. So, let's look at Beatitudes in the Old Testament. There are at least 45 of them that we find. I will limit myself to the book of Psalms, where most of them are found. And there are 26 of the 45 found there. In fact, the book of Psalms opens with a Beatitude. One of the first Psalms I learned as a child was Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. A side note, a parenthesis, I've mentioned this before. Psalms 1 and 2 are introductory psalms that prepare the reader for what will follow in the rest of the book. In the first psalm, we are told of the righteous man. And in the second, we are told of the unrighteous man. It's not that black and white because, in fact, in the first psalm we are, talk, we are told about the wicked. <clears throat> but it is in the second psalm that we are told more about them. I find it interesting that Psalm 1 begins, Blessed is the man, and Psalm 2, the end of it, ends with, 
Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So as one enters into the book of Psalms to read them, you have these two introductory psalms in which they speak of being blessed. Psalm 1 deals with the individual. Psalm 2, I would argue, deals on a national, even international level when it speaks of a people. You know, blessed are those, not simply the individual. Psalm 1, as I said, and 2 serve as an introduction to the psalms, to the prayers. So who are the blessed? What do the psalmists tell us about those who are blessed? Let me just give you a partial list. Those who are blessed are those who have God as Lord. From Psalm 144.15 Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Who is blessed? Those who fear the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. That's from Psalm 112. From Psalm 128 Blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are blessed. Psalm 84, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Those who take refuge in God, as I mentioned a moment ago from Psalm 2, blessed are all who take refuge in you. Psalm 84, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. And what we heard today as the promise, the assurance of forgiveness, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And those that the Lord chooses to bring near are blessed. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Now, one of the reasons that we have these people who are judged to be blessed is because it assumes that God rewards them. It is God, in fact, who blesses them for their trust in Him. They trust in Him. They fear Him. They want to be near Him. And therefore, they are blessed. But we also find in the Psalms that there are, if you wish, benefits, blessings, if you wish, for those who trust in God, for those who fear God. I read from Psalm 112 a moment ago. Um, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. It continues, his children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Other blessings are mentioned as well in Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. And then in Psalm 41, Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desire of his foes. This, I think, is usually what we think of when we think of someone being blessed. That, in fact, God takes care of them. God protects him, preserves him. God prospers him or her. Um, All the things that we might think desirable, God brings into the life of those that are described as blessed. 
with that in mind, let's now turn to the New Testament and see how blessed or blessed is used there. The word blessed appears 50 times in the New Testament, 44 of which are Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount opens with the Beatitudes, and I think any familiarity I may have with the word itself comes from the Sermon on the Mount as it opens with these Beatitudes. Each one opens with the word blessed. And based on what we've just read in the Old Testament in Psalms, our expectations might be of benefits bestowed. That is, your sons are like olive shoots around your table. God will preserve you. God will take care of you. Uh, Nothing will happen to you. This is what, now here comes Jesus, this man who, who preaches with authority, this man who performs miracles, and he begins to preach. And the first word out of his mouth is blessed. And the people who are listening are thinking, this is good stuff. I'm going to like this. I want to be blessed. And then he continues, are the poor. To which people must have said, what? Did, did, did he say what I thought he said? Blessed are those who mourn. This can't be right. Let me read to you from Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If the Beatitudes are to be seen as announcements of congratulations, you are blessed. This is great. We congratulate you. Um, There seems to be a problem here. Because the blessed that are mentioned here in the Beatitudes seem to be the unblessed, the unfortunate, and the miserable. What are we to make of this? Well, I think there are at least two answers. The first is, there are promised blessings or reward. As one writer put it, blessed are the unhappy, for God will make them happy. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Appearances to the contrary, congratulations are in fact in order because Jesus' Jesus' presence fulfills all meaningful desires for happiness. That to be a child of God, to be a follower of Jesus, means that one is blessed. This condition has nothing to do with the pursuit of happiness or blessedness or with fortunate external circumstances. You're living good. You're living high. Not at all. It has to do with God's gracious activity to save his people. The second answer, this goes back to what we saw last Sunday, and that is, when it comes to being blessed, from the word blessed, the focus should be less on the benefits we receive and primarily on the relationship. Benefits conveyed are secondary. And the primary factor of blessing is, in fact, the statement of relationship between the parties. And I think this is made clear in the last 
uh, two Beatitudes. If In verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We heard in the prayer of confession today that in Jesus we see his dependence, his mourning, his meekness, his hunger for righteousness, his mercy, his purity, his peacemaking, his faithfulness even to the point of death. And because of our relationship with him, we are recipients of God's blessing. So when we read the Beatitudes, the first, you know, as we stumble through the first one, thinking something's not quite right here. This isn't what I expected to hear when I heard of being blessed. When we get to the end, we find it is because, in fact, we are in relationship with God. We are the recipients of God's blessing because we are God's people. And to be a child of God is the primary focus of a beatitude. And any benefits that are given are to be considered secondary. I can't help but wonder if most people knew that, if they would rather forego the blessing. Um, they like, we all want what we consider blessings. We want to prosper. But the idea that that is secondary to something more fundamental, a relationship, I'm not sure that people are so keen for that. The third thing I want to look at is God as blessed. We've seen the Old Testament Beatitudes, the New Testament Beatitudes, and now God as blessed. We heard in our text today, after Abigail gives her speech, she bows before David and gives her speech, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Again, the focus is on relationship, not on benefits. I mean, what can we give to God? What does he need from us? And I think this helps us understand what it means when we say that we bless God or that God is blessed. So when we bless God, when we say that God is blessed, it is not because of any kind of benefit we may bestow, but because we are in fact thanking him and we are praising him and we are acknowledging him for what he has done. And so throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, we hear God referred to as one who is blessed or the people blessing God. And if you'll be patient with me, let me read to you several passages. This is from Noah in Genesis 9.26. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. In Genesis 14, when Abraham meets Melchizedek after rescuing Lot and the kings, he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram by the God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then at the end of First Chronicles, we have a story of David again when he is king. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Then David said to all the assembly, 
Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the King. In Psalm 66, Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. The focus time and time again when we read of God being blessed or that we are to bless God is of his relationship with his people. And therefore, we respond with praise, we respond with blessing, and we bless the Lord. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. And in closing, I would remind you of the words of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. His words when the day that John was circumcised on the eighth day and they were trying to decide what to name him. And after months of not being able to speak because of his unbelief, God opens his mouth, allows him to speak. And the first words that come out of his mouth are, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God is to be praised. Yes, for what he has done, but not primarily for what he has done, but because of his relationship. See, as Zechariah said, he has visited and redeemed his people. God has a people. God has a relationship. He has called people to be his own. He is their father. He is their God. And they are his people. This is the basis. This, when we bless God... When we speak of being blessed, it is because of this relationship. And then out of that, certain things flow. The things that God has done, the, God, the things that God has done in our lives and in the lives of others. But it begins foundationally with the relationship. Which means that when we hear the words, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn, we shouldn't sort of hold on for dear life during difficult times, we should be reminded, oh, that means I'm in a relationship with God. God is my father. I am his son or his daughter. And because of that, I can be called blessed. My circumstances right now may not reflect that, but that's okay because those things are secondary. What is primary is that God has called us to be his people. And again, during this time of Advent, we are reminded that God sent his son that we might become his people. Let's pray together. Father, for all our talk of being in a relationship with you, I think oftentimes our thoughts drift toward the benefits, the blessings, the things you can and have given to us, the things you, we want you to give to us. And in a sense, this is only right. You are the source of all good things. To whom else would we go? If we don't look to you for the good things of this life, where would we go? But these things are temporary. They are secondary. What is eternal is our relationship with you. You have called us to be your people. And in that we are truly blessed. And by your grace as we fear you, as we trust in you, 
as we put our hope in you, as you protect us, as you provide for us. These are all wonderful things, but they are because you are our God. And you've chosen us to be your people. You've called us to be your people. And by your grace, you have saved us. In a consumer society, and at, I guess, sort of the highest expression of that consumerism during this season, may we be reminded of what is primary and what is secondary. That the things we have, gifts from you are wonderful. The health we have, our families, all these are gifts from you. They are secondary. What is most important, what is foundational, what is fundamental, is that we are your people. I thank you that you have called us today, we who are your people, to come together to worship you. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.